Hey team, it's Jordan here from NZ Audio Editors. I just wanted to say that this episode doesn't actually reference COVID-19 because it was done well ahead of time. But I hope that uh, for even for an hour or so, the content that we provide does in fact take your mind away from it. And we also hope that your families are safe, you're safe, and everybody remains that way. So best wishes from NZ Audio Editors. One plan for retirement. Take care of yourselves. Talk soon. This podcast is proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web. Greg Moyle and Ryan Melton from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. This is not to be seen as personal advice as it is a podcast, but will give you the tools you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, last time, obviously, we went in depth in terms of uh, helping women in terms of finance and how there's a bit of a variation. There's actually quite interesting statistics I was looking at and uh, around that, that obviously if, if, if women are staying at home and, and supporting children, there's got less availability in the KiwiSaver. Uh, and then also they live longer. So you've got these single women with less money in their KiwiSaver. It is going to be a real concern. So I'm glad we brought that up last time and hopefully they got some value out of it. But this is more about retirement and, and sort of options that people use in retirement, what to be aware of in terms of income. But what, what would be common trends you see when people approach retirement that they may have thought it was going to be this amazing experience, but reality is a bit different? It's an interesting question, Ryan. You know, what are people thinking about as they're approaching retirement? I suppose everyone's different. Some people will probably get a bit excited because they probably don't enjoy their job. Mm. They go to work because they have to. Other people would be maybe um, concerned because they do enjoy their job and they're thinking about, you know, what am I going to do when I stop work? Uh, then there'd be others that would be possibly a bit fearful, a bit concerned about the unknown because it become job, the job becomes a bit of a habit. You, know, you get up on a Monday morning, you go to work, and the end of the week on Friday you've got the weekend off and you know that just becomes the 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 process by which you live your life it becomes just something that's almost mechanical yeah so when you get what I call a DCM don't come Monday for some people it, it, it's a bit of a shock and one of the things that we in the financial planning area try and do is get people to think about that situation and prepare themselves so it isn't a surprise it isn't a shock and in fact it becomes a transition it's like you're moving from one chapter to another the the truth of the matter is that i've noticed over many years that people spend more time planning the next overseas holiday than they do in planning their retirement sure it just happens and that's a very very dangerous development for people to find themselves exposed to because you may not be able to have your cake and eat it. You may not be able to do the things you'd want to do. Whereas if you prepared much earlier, you probably could. Mm. Because in some respects, it's about cutting your cloth to suit 
understanding what it is that your resources allow you to fund and adjusting your lifestyle accordingly. The issue, I think, for people as much as anything is actually understanding how much their lifestyle is going to cost. Most people don't understand how much their current lifestyle costs, except they probably imagine it's less than what they earn, otherwise they'd be broke. Yeah. But there's a huge amount of discretionary or probably wasteful spending that we all indulge in, you know, that extra cup of coffee or, you know, the impulse buy at the supermarket and the impulse buy if we're buying stuff. Oh, I forgot that I've got three shoes of the same type type (laughs) arrangement. And we're all guilty of that. Um, But when your income stops and your ability to have that flexibility probably stops as well, um, that's a big adjustment. Yeah. So you can look at your, if you had $100 to spend, you might say, well, of the $100, 60% of it, $60 is essential uh, because that's things that pay the, the rates and the yeah. insurances and put petrol in the motor vehicle or diesel and pay for the groceries and the doctor and the dentist and the chemist and all the things that you, you know, become essential fixed or variable costs but then there's that other amount the discretionary costs which are the costs that make life enjoyable being able to treat yourself occasionally to to go out to have a meal to travel to buy clothing to replace items that might be um, getting a bit past their due by date so knowing how that hundred dollars is broken up is a pretty important thing to be aware of as you're approaching retirement because clearly you've got to cover the essential fixed and variable costs but it'd be nice to know that lifestyle your lifestyle doesn't stop when your income does mm. from paid employment so that transition is is quite significant because as we might have discussed before um, you look at the numbers and say, well, what will a single person get living alone on New Zealand super? The net is around about $20,000, 18 to 20, depending on their tax rate. And similarly, for a couple, it's 30 to 32, depending on their tax rate. So does that amount of money, if it's 18, $1,500 a month or if it's 30 as a couple, that's $2,500 a month, is that going to cover your essential fixed and variable costs? It may do, but I'm pretty sure it won't cover any of the discretionary no. variable costs. So unless you want to see your lifestyle come to a grinding halt, what you need to do is plan ahead, think about how much money you actually want and need don't don't confuse the two, because most people do, what they want they need. No, no, the things you need, but there's extra stuff that you want. Work out what the difference is and think about where that money's going to come when you stop paid employment. For sure. I think, as you say, if you you just bring awareness to it, it's the first step in terms of savings, because a lot of things just disappear into the ether if you're not aware of it. The thing I've been using in the moment is I just have a certain amount of cash that I use for discretionary spending. So it's, I see it every time. Just puts you at risk of robbery, maybe, but there's not enough there. 
But quite an interesting thing from the Financial Commission is says around 16% of New Zealand adults aged 45 to 64 will experience financial, <coughs> financial material hardship. So, and that's whether that's a relationship breakup or a loss of employment. And and it's, it's devastating, for example, someone to lose their job in that age demographic is quite hard to get back into the workforce. So if you're not thinking ahead, it puts you at a great risk. Uh, coming up to retirement and then you're going to have to live off that 30,000 bit of a drop from the average median income so what would you say in terms of that lifestyle in retirement there's, there's <coughs> people I guess have a negative perception around say retirement villages for example um, because a few years back it wasn't such a good setup I, I seem to recall you had an experience with your, your mother and you're trying to support her in retirement and that but it was a different kettle of fish back then than it is now well, with, yeah, well that, there's a lot in what you've just asked, but if we'd start with the last first, the yeah, the retirement <laughs> village business has boomed over the last number of years, and I'm told that 13% of people over the age of 70 are in retirement villages, right. which is a lot, but there's, that means there's 87% who aren't, who are still either living in their own home or rented accommodation. And they may or may not be able to make that transition because there's quite a big hurdle to get into a retirement village these days. Sure. Uh, the, you know, the prices can go anywhere between 800 to 1.2 million yeah. in the Auckland region to get into a retirement village. That's a big number. And your, your home may or may not sell for that number. Uh, the, the issue with retirement villages is that you're not buying... Uh, a freehold asset, you're buying an occupation license. And that means that uh, the license comes with um, certain um, responsibilities. There's benefits and there's, there's um, uh, outgoings because you're required to pay a, a weekly or monthly payment to the retirement village for them to cover a lot of the costs you would otherwise have to fund if you owned your own home. And because it's an occupational license, at the end of the day, you get your money back less than agreed um, a percentage off. It can be anywhere between 20 to 30%. And you may or may not be required to refurbish the, the unit or the apartment or the villa. And your estate, or you, depending on what the situation is, will get the remaining say 70%. That formula is fine, I think, as long as people understand what the, the issue is. The, the issue I had with, with my late mother was um, when she had to move out of the particular village to a rest home unconnected with that village, because there was no rest home or hospital in that particular village, it took them a very, very long time to free up the money that she had in her unit. And in the meantime, she was still having to pay the weekly fee. In that particular case, there was very little incentive for the village to pay my mother out early because they would say, well, we had to sell that unit, but they were selling other units, newer units. So she was caught in that um middle patch and no, no man's land. What happens now, as I understand it, is there is a requirement for the village to pay out within a prescribed period of time. I think it's about six months. 
So there have been improvements over time through regulation or legislation to make the retirement villages a little more, more accountable. I mean, it's one of the benefits of dealing with a bigger village rather than a smaller village because they would at least hopefully have the financial resources to do that. Yeah. My experience with the retirement villages today is that they're actually very good to deal with. And in all the cases that I've seen and dealt with, they've treated my clients very fairly in respect of allowing them to transition from independent living to supported living to into a full care facility. That they've... You know, being taken, there's very much that human side. It's not just about business. Yeah. So it it is a total solution for people who are looking to say move from their family home into a village community where they don't have to move out if they need more resources. The resources are available. And many of the villages these days they fix the the weekly component of what you pay. So that's that's quite advantageous. Mm. What's happening, of course, though, is that you've got to remember retirement villages are uh, kind of, you'd almost call them the, the McDonald's of the property industry. It's not about retirement. It is about property. Yeah. So they're looking for a return on investment on their property. Sure. And in doing so, they're not wanting people to be there for 20 or 30 years. So they're wanting probably people to move in um, probably in their mid to even late 70s and be there five to 10 years Mm. because that way they can turn the units around and that's where they make their money. Yeah. Between the price they sell the the refurbished or new unit, less what they have to pay out the previous tenant. Yeah, and you you want that in a retirement village. I mean... As much as you want to put people first and have a good lifestyle and, and support them, at the end of the day, it's got to be a functioning business in some way. But to, to give you a transparency on the cost um, from the Financial Commission, says they say if you if the unit was sold to you for four hundred fifty thousand dollars, so you come in, you buy it for four fifty. You'd be lucky to buy one at four fifty. Yeah, you'd be doing well. This is the lower end, just to keep it simple. Is that an Ekaterina or somewhere? Is it <laughs> yeah, this is in Greymouth, uh, yeah. directly from the. Um, so let's say after a length of time of five years, they take out that deduction you talked about. So let's say 25%, that's 112500 to process it, maybe legal fees. So this would be maybe if you passed away and then this is for your kids to organize. And then uh, legal fees, 800 bucks, And then they have a marketing fee. So it's 3% based on the new sale price of 600000 So that's, as you say, the capital appreciation. So it's about eighteen grand. So you paid four fifty. The kids walk out with three hundred and eighteen seven hundred. So, I guess the viewpoint to come in in terms of retirement villages is the fact that it's about lifestyle and support. <coughs> um, and in terms of the human condition, you you live longer if you you have a support network and relationships because there, there seems to be like let's say a, a man was to divorce in his fifties to sixties, he's he's got a higher chance of passing away very soon. And the next say, you lose 10 years on your life. It was the statistics I looked at last year. So That's, that's a worry if you're a male, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, stick it out. Like if you're having an argument with the missus, maybe you should just suss it out if you're at that point of your life. 
Well, so, sometimes people move into the retirement villages as couples, um, knowing that one of the couple has a medical condition, mm. and by moving into the village, they're able to re-establish themselves, sure. and the survivor is not kind of left in his or her home by themselves, dependent on the children mm. to to look after them. They're in a supportive environment where they will have made new friends. Sure. Because these villages are often very social. Yeah. They, you know, they have happy hours. They have um, you know, events and functions and trips. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a marvellous environment if you're up to it. Yeah. You know, if you're a sociable sort of person, um, it's fantastic. If you are a person that has a little worry, concern about security, you know, it means you don't need to worry about security because it's a secure environment. Maintenance. And the other one is maintenance. Yeah. I can remember visiting one of my clients in one of the villages in Auckland and he couldn't wait to show me a couple of things that had gone wrong within his apartment yeah. <laughs> that had been fixed. Yeah. That he didn't have to worry about. Yeah. You know, he said, Greg, come and have a look at the sink here. That you know, There's a bit of a problem, but they're coming on Tuesday. Mm. You know? And the, by the way, did you notice the new curtains? They got replaced last Friday. I mean, was in your own home, uh, that's that's a worry for a lot of people. They either don't have the money to do it, or yeah. they don't have the inclination, or they don't have the knowledge. So, it, you know, there's a lot of advantages, but I think the key to it is to understand that it's not for everyone. Mm. Uh, a lot of people financially won't be able to make that transition. And then, of course, there's the other side that, you know, some people would worry about the loss, which I think is interesting. They'd say, oh, and you mentioned before that, you know, bought the unit for 450000 the kids leave with 318 or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, people worry about that, and I can't understand why. The kids are probably getting more than they got yeah. when their parents died. And uh, at the end of the day... If, children inherit something, I think that's a bonus. It's not a right or an entitlement. It might be a bit different if money has been passed from one generation to another. Yeah. You know, mum and dad received an inheritance from their parents and they might want to try and use it but protect the capital for their children. I can understand that. Yeah. But the other one, I think, is is kind of, you know, it's it's like winning lotto. It's not, you don't expect it, but mm. it's nice if it happens. For sure. Um, I suppose another area that we could talk about at some stage would be that I can see that people of my age and younger, as I'm, you know, the baby boomers, the young or, or middle baby boomers, um, being dependent on inheriting money from their parents to mm. fund their uh, lifestyle, which is much more expensive and exciting, if you might say, than the lifestyle that their parents had. Sure. And I find that if you go the next generation down, I think oh, about my worse. children, what their expectations will be. <laughs> you know, it might be good if I died early and left them more. I don't know. Uh, but the that's you know, that's a thing that you know, there's a a generation that's somewhere in there that I believe I wouldn't call them the lost generation, but there are generation they're going to have a bit of a problem uh, because um, they won't be saving enough for their retirement. They're mm. not going to get the benefit 
of KiwiSaver because they won't be in it long enough. If you're yeah. in your 20s or 30s, KiwiSaver is marvellous because the, the compounding effect of that over a lifetime of work yeah. will give you a whole range of choices in retirement. And all you have to do then is just concentrate on being in the accommodation, the home of your choice, and being debt-free when you stop paid employment, whatever age that might be. But there's a generation in the middle there that haven't saved enough have spent heaps on travel, private education, you know, education, all sorts of bits and pieces on things that probably haven't retained their value. You know, that can be anything from, you know, furniture to fit, fittings in a home to cars, boats, whatever. Great lifestyle, living the dream, mm. but no plan as to how they're going to fund that accelerated lifestyle when they cease paid employment and they're probably really dependent on mum and dad leaving the money but if mum and dad live longer and spend more which is my experience of people you know people spend much more than they anticipate in retirement and they're all living longer so that's fantastic but they'll eat up their capital um so that this sort of lost generation coming through will suddenly find oops you know Where's this money going to come from? New Zealand Super's not going to cut it. They're going to need a heap more on top of that. So they better hope that mum and dad don't live too long. Um, maybe the retirement village is a good option because you know you'll always be some equity probably out of it at the end, but not necessarily because you know when you move into full time care, that costs about thirteen hundred dollars a week. So that eats up your capital pretty quickly. And our benevolent governments have said that, depending on your situation, you know, you're allowed to keep about $200,000 back before you um, they start eating into that if you need more care. This is the residential rest home subsidy. Um, so, But you know, 200000 won't last much on top of what the lost generation need. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's kind of... It'll be an interesting situation to see how this kind of all unfolds because we live in a society where if I want something, I expect to get it. And if I can't provide it, I'd like someone else to pay, called the government. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's clearly a generational gap. My nana would live off the smell of an oily rag. And, and that, that, that's definitely sort of changing and, and manifesting in a different way. And it is, as you say, it's going to be a big concern. Um, but where the real concern would be is, say, for example, contractors that aren't on KiwiSaver um, and they don't have an exit strategy in the sense that their business isn't sellable because they're in the service industry where they're the product. So if they're no longer the product and and that's the idea, you're selling them, then then what's your exit strategy? What, are you gonna, what do you think would be for those sort of people that are in that, I guess, pre-baby boomers? Well, a lot of that, you, know, you talked about contractors, but that's true of professionals, accountants, lawyers, doctors, dentists. Yeah. Their business may not have a value. As you say, they are the product. Um, if you're an electrician or a plumber or a builder, you may or may not have a business that has some value, but you know, if you presume it doesn't, uh, you know, it's almost beholden on you to think about your retirement strategy and some of those people might own the the building their business operates from which mm-hmm. which is fine um 
but that presumes, of course, they can always rent it and sell it in the future, and that may not necessarily be the case. I'm sure they can sell it, but they might not get the money back that they wanted to. Depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they may do very well. It's it's certainly an investment strategy, but you wouldn't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So they need to think about other ways to save, and you know, Kiwi Saver is still an option for them, mm-hmm. but it, it has some issues in respect to the money being locked in and they may need some of that capital to to um, continue their business. What they can do, though, is they could use uh, a similar approach but buy into managed funds yeah. through an investment strategy so that they build up a, a passive portfolio, diversified income and growth assets, which can compound... Uh, and give them that freedom that when their business stops, they can generate income from that portfolio to replace that income that's lost and, and preserve their lifestyle. Again, it's about having a plan. Yeah. And you know, the earlier you start your plan, the better, but the plan will evolve over time. I mean, you mentioned before a little bit about the risks associated with losing your employment which is a huge one. Now, one of the things that, again, the older generation have experienced is many of them have been, you know, like my father, in the same employment for 40-odd years before he retired. Um, if I look at my own situation, I've chopped and changed a little bit, um, and then I look behind me at the younger generation, and I chop and change a lot. Yeah. And... Yeah, the other thing that's happened alongside that is you would have thought that you have a benevolent employer who will employ you for life. And that doesn't happen as well because employers um, can change. Their business can change. Um, they may be forced to reduce the, the numbers of staff. So suddenly you're finding yourself um, redundant. I, I went and visited a client the other day and uh, this couple's probably only in their late 40s, and the husband's been made redundant three times, um, Yeah, which is nice. He gets a little redundancy pack, but he's been resilient enough to get back. He works in the IT business, um, but he's finding it more difficult because the IT business is changing as well. So you can imagine that you might be resilient in your 30s and 40s, but how resilient would you be in your mid to late 50s, if suddenly you're made redundant, you're receiving a decent income, you know, you know 100, 150,000 a year or whatever, which is a pretty decent income, I would have thought, and suddenly you can't replace that. You know, you, know, you might end up stacking shelves at the local supermarket on, on the minimum wage, but there's a big gap. You know, you can't, and one of the things for young people, I suppose, is that the the more skills that you learn or the ability to learn and adapt is an amazing uh, resource to have as an individual because then it's one door shuts and you can go through the door that opens because that's generally what happens. Something shuts here, but there'll be another door over there that is opening as long as you can find your way to it and you have the the skills to be able to adapt to the new environment. I mean, even from a biological point of view, the 
the neurons in your brain, they actually become more rigid. Your ability to adapt and, and accommodate to change is impaired. So even if you had the best of will, it's quite a, a, a drastic experience or change to be able to have all the security for most of your life and suddenly it's all gone. Like my dad, he um, initially he worked uh, as, a, as a jockey and a horse trainer and then he, he met this the guy and said, have you ever thought about working in this industry as an accountant? Didn't have any qualification and a handshake was enough back in those days. And he ended up be- being an accountant for 20 or 30 years without the actual qualification. And now all of a sudden, they they just they had to readjust things for profits, and then he got made redundant. And then it's like, well, what now? You don't have that qualification to make it transferable. And But he, ended up, he managed to find a job in a few weeks, had to hustle it out. But it's a, suddenly to have that routine and structure taken away, it takes a particular type of person to jump up and keep going. Well... The good thing is your dad getting involved in the accounting or bookkeeping sort of business. Um, yeah, it's good to have a qualification, but actually what people really want to buy is the, your ability to do the job. For sure. So he he had a transferable skill. Yeah. Um, and if he ever wants to join the bowling club, he'd be treasurer for life. So <laughs> I don't know if they pay much of an honorarium. Probably, probably not. Probably $500 a year. Yeah. But the... It, it is a tricky thing, you know, as you're planning for your retirement, you know, how do you deal with a possible interruption? Yeah. You can insure for loss of life. You can insure for uh, illness. Or, of course, accident is covered by the Accident Compensation Act, but how do you insure for redundancy? Mm. And that's why I think in a relationship where you've got two people in that relationship, you've got to work as a partnership because it could be that one person isn't able to work. So suddenly you're down to one income, which is a huge problem for people because your lifestyle's built around the joint income that you that you earn. So how does that work? Clearly it doesn't. And I've seen people in planning meetings uh, where it's often the wife, not the husband, who says, oh, look, you know, here I am, I've been working for a number of years, I'm in my mid-50s, and I think I'll take a bit of a break from work. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm trying to put together a plan to ensure that the two of them enjoy the lifestyle they want and that they're not going to run out of money before they run out of life. And suddenly, the whole savings capacity, the money that was going to be saved over the next 10 years, has just disappeared. And so it's a tricky way of how do you pull the conversation back to say if it's a partnership, both people need to contribute or fully understand what the consequences are. Because it's not a fun thing, as people find as they're heading into retirement now, to try and maintain a lifestyle on what the government's prepared to pay you. I think gross to $32,000 a year, uh, probably net closer to twenty eight to to twenty nine thousand. It doesn't go very far. So that savings that people are making in those last ten years, if you like, before they retire, you know, are gold. Because for every hundred thousand they save, that gives them the ability to spend six thousand dollars a year net for the next twenty five plus years. On the other side. Just recently, I met a couple who are a partnership. They're still both working in their late 60s, and 
I'm now trying to suggest to them, as they were sent to me by their accountant, uh, to give them the confidence that they actually can stop work and maintain the lifestyle they want and clearly not run out of money before they run out of life. And I was able to give them the good news that because they had continued working right through to their late 60s and saving, that actually what they've accumulated is enough to ensure that they don't run out of money before they run out of life. So the conversation is is always quite interesting when you're sitting a couple down who probably for the first time are now talking about their joint aspirations and the resources that are available to meet them. Because I don't think couples have that conversation readily. Money's always been a bit of a taboo in our society and you don't discuss it with friends and often you don't even discuss it with the people who are closest to you. But when you sit down with a professional advisor and the question is asked, it's interesting to see what comes out of that. And there's the opportunity for us to help people along the way. So every person is unique. Every couple is a a unique partnership. And the beauty of what we do is that you are helping people to sort of really undercover what it is they want out of life from the financial perspective and you're giving them the the tools and the information and the support to achieve those particular goals and big part of that's making the invisible visible and yeah there's obviously a lot of construction we also had a call wasn't a client so we didn't have to answer it Um, but that's a big aspect of what we do is um people don't realize um what they want in life or how they go about doing it. They just sort of have this feeling that everything's going to be okay. But in reality, if you if you don't talk about it and you don't have it clearly in front of you, then you're not really sure what the next step can be. So that, that's the big part of what we do is making the invisible visible. And a big part of what we, we continually talk about as advisors is not retiring but retreating. Because it's, it's one thing to have a sustainable income and being able to do the things you want to do, but you need to have some purpose or some feeling as though you're contributing. And that, that period after their 50s is essential because that's once they've paid off all their debt, uh, that's when they've sort of got that disposable income to start saving. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's obviously a good point to start building up those savings for retirement because it's, it's the point where you decide that it's an urgent matter, it's a need, and you have the drive to do it. And that's a big part of what we do, really, is just, yeah, as I say, making the invisible visible. And you talk about navigating those conversations when people get in that pre-retirement stage. And there's something you were talking about not too long ago about the retirement commission and what they're talking about, the superannuation. Did you want to talk a little bit more about that? Well, it's just recently come out that the New Zealand super, according to the retirement commission, is okay up to 2033 it's funded up to there now i'm not sure how they come up to that conclusion but it really is all about the aging population and the ability for those people paying tax to fund those who are receiving a benefit and of course in this country there's lots of benefits and new zealand superannuation is just one of them it's probably the most expensive one with the aging population and there's lots of moves afoot in respect of what they can do about that, um, including 
uh, race, the, the age of eligibility, which came up before and got pushed to one side. And I don't know if anyone will want to make an election issue for this year. I doubt that neither Labor or National would want to uh, go to that particular well. <laughs> but the commissioners come out and said, it's all good for 2033. So now what they're saying is that they're going to put their emphasis on pre-retirement advice. And I'm saying, hallelujah, you know, finally the penny's starting to drop, that it's not just enough to have a system like KiwiSaver, which uh, people will save into probably as much by accident than design. Uh, they'd be mugs not to, because of course, if you don't belong to KiwiSaver and you're a an employee, uh, you're losing a valuable part of your remuneration. Effectively, your employer doesn't have to pay you that extra 3%. Uh, of course, you have to sacrifice 3% to get that and, to then, and then to get the government subsidy, but it's really a no-brainer to do that. So that people will do it because they can see an immediate advantage. But what they may or may not understand is the long-term consequences of the compounding of the returns as it stays in KiwiSaver. It's not easy to get out of. In fact, you'd never want to get out of it uh, until you do get to retirement. And as we've talked about, it's a bit like winning lotto without having to go and gamble and risk not getting any return at all because every dollar you put in will compound along with your employer's dollar, along with whatever the government might give you, and it'll give you a, a, a golden nest egg to help fund part of your retirement. And that's the bit. It may be only part of your retirement. And of course, coming to 65 or whatever the age of eligibility is and suddenly finding that you don't have enough to fund the lifestyle that you want is a little bit of a, it's an E or an F, isn't it? Basically, it's a fail. And uh, it's pretty hard to recover from uh, because you may or may not be able or, or willing or have the opportunity to continue some form of paid employment. So... The concept of getting in early and having a plan that takes you forward towards the time when you're no longer working for money, that your money is working for you. We talk about the term retirement, but as you've said, Ryan, uh, the term we really should be using is retreating because you don't necessarily retire and just sit and become a couch potato and watch <laughs> Days of Our Lives and all the other assorted TV programs, what you do is say, well, there's things I've always wanted to do. Now I can do them. Some of them may involve you re receiving some form of remuneration or there may be no remuneration, but they're things that you would like to do, that you're passionate about. It can be community service, it can be playing um, golf or tennis or bowls. Um, there's lots of things that you can do. Of course, travel is a huge thing that people want to do when they now have the time and freedom to do it. Um, but imagine having the time and the freedom but not the financial resources. Mm. That's the fail. And pre-retirement is thinking about those issues before you come to the DCM. DCM, remember, 
that's when you get that middle called don't come Monday from your employer. That suddenly the job you've had for whatever number of years, could be 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, is no longer there. And suddenly you've lost the most important financial asset you've had, which is your ability to earn an income to support your particular lifestyle. And it's this huge thing. It's more financial freedom is more of a skill set than a process. You may have the processes in place, a Kiwi saver, and then you get to sixty five and you've come into all this money. And obviously if you haven't developed that skill set and ability to to forego instant gratification for long term fulfillment, then you, you can come up to a, a bit of a problem even if you do have the money. So it's good about it's good about starting that uh, skill set early on and creating that mindset, and then it flows into retirement. So not only are you enjoying the life you want, but it's sustainable. And I hope I hope the listeners this week got a lot of value out of this, and it was sort of tailored around business owners because there is a big problem around that, and obviously not having enough cash flow to obviously sustain the business in the sense that if you have all your money in KiwiSaver and the inaccessibility of it could be a problem for you, but there is still benefits of KiwiSaver in the long term. So the the important thing is that we're having a discussion and starting to think um, how how this will play out and how that affects your life because it's it's better to have a plan than have your head in the sand. So I look forward to talking to everyone uh, next week. And once again, thank you for... NZ Audio Editors, the Managing Director, Jordan Greville, and uh, obviously Greg for imparting your knowledge and the listeners. Till next time.